Hallelujah, hallelujah. All praises to our King Yahuwah Eleheinu and his son Yahushua HaMashiach who came and died for our sins so that we may have a chance at eternal life. Hello everyone, I'm Boyce Washington and on the other side of me is the Pastor Richard Washington and we would like to say Shabbat Shalom to the Hebrew Mishpukah scattered to the four corners and we say Shabbat Shalom to all the other believing nations of our loving Elohim. Welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast and as you know if you have listened to us or this is your first time this is a podcast where we will study the Bible, the Biblical Covenant and what that means for us in today's times. So get your Bibles, your notebook, your computer, your tablet, whatever you need to study. And let's begin our study. Now I'll turn it over to my co-host. All right. Thank you very much. And uh, what we'll do this Shabbat is to continue where we left off. We were talking about the redemptive wedding, but the part that we were dealing with was the marital uh, morphology, the shape in which he had made man. And we want to use the first text, uh, first two texts. First, we want to go back to Jeremiah chapter 3 and we want to look at verse 14. Jeremiah 3.14 says, Turn, O backsliding children, says Yahuwah, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. So here we find that the covenant relationship that Elohim has with his children, he says it's a marriage relationship, and we have been dealing with that um, marriage relationship. Now, in addition to that text that we find here in the book of Jeremiah, speaking about the fact that Elohim is married to his children. We want to use Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Genesis 1, 26. And here it reads, it says, And Elohim said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Now, the first part of this verse is what we want to focus in on when he said, let us make man in our image and likeness, okay? And we call this, this uh, particular discourse that we are following up on from last uh, Shabbat is the marital morphology, okay? Now, we understand that one of the reasons why he made man in his likeness and image was that he was like himself. And one of the things we discussed last week we left off with is because when he was to send his son into the world, his son had to come in a shape and a form. And even though they had been sacrificing many animals, yet those animals could not be the form in which he came. They only represented the form. But when he made Adam and Eve, he made them in his image. And so when he came into this world, he could not come as an angel. He could not come as an animal. He had to come as a human because humans were made in his image. And 
he entered into that image when he got into Mary's womb. And so when he did that, he was able to come in to that image as a man. And as the Bible says, he gave him a body. And when that body, it was shaped uh, in a human form, which had come from the form that he had given to Adam and Eve, which was himself. So after he redeemed man, then that was a particular purpose for the form and the image. It served another purpose, not, not just for salvation, but also for redemption. And once man was redeemed, then we want to look at the purpose for the form and the shape as he deal with the redeemed. Okay, so the Bible says here in Genesis 1.26, he says here, and Elohim said, let us make man in our image and likeness. So we'll be talking about the marital morphology and the spirit. The marital morphology and the spirit. In other words, we'll be looking at the marriage relationship that Elohim has with his children, but we're going to look at it from the standpoint that when you deal with the form and the shape, we want to see how that relates to his spirit. So when Elohim said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, it had far more to do with the, the creation than just with the creation of Adam in the sense of his appearance. So in other words, we pointed out that even though he created uh, the man and the woman in his image, it had something to do with far more than just the appearance. It also had to do with his salvation. And as we understand that creation and redemption are wrought by the same hand, what we see is that what he did in creation, we must also see what he did in salvation are congruent. As we can see the consistency between creation and salvation, they testify of one another. Even when Yeshua was here upon the earth, he said, as we look in uh, John, go to the Gospel of John, and in the Gospel of John, we want to look at the at the third chapter, and in the third chapter of the Gospel of John, we want to be able to look at uh, verse number 12, the first, that is, the first John, that is, first John, and we want to go to the third chapter and look at verse 12. And here in 1 John 3.12, it says, Him that overcomes will I make a pillar in the temple of my Elohim, and I shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my Elohim. Well, no, that's, no, that's not the text we want. We want to go to uh, the gospel, the gospel of John, not not the epistle. Okay, let me go back to that. Okay, the Gospel of John. And then that's the third chapter when he was talking to Nicodemus. Okay, here we are. John, the third chapter, verse 12. 
He said, take heed, brethren. No, let me see. No, I didn't quite make it to John. I was in the book of Hebrews. Okay. Let me see. All right, here we are. John, the gospel, third chapter and verse 12 says, Amen, Amen. Uh, he said, here in the 12th chapter, he said, If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? So what he's pointing out here to Nicodemus is that if in order for him to believe, if he understands the earthly things, they have something to do with the heavenly things. And he said, now, if I tell you earthly things and you don't believe that which I tell you about the earthly, how would you believe if I told you about heavenly things? So what we're looking at uh, is that there's a correlation between the physical creation and the spiritual creation. Moreover, Yeshua made a statement concerning himself as being sent by his father into this world. And let us notice the statement that he makes in the same chapter, in the same book of John. I want to look at chapter five in the book of John, chapter five. And we'll look at verse number 37. Okay. So he said, if I tell you earthly things, uh, and you don't believe, if I tell you heavenly things, you probably wouldn't believe either. So in other words, he's, he's making a correlation that there's a great uh, similarity between that which is uh, physical and that which is spiritual. Now notice what he says in verse 37 of the 30, uh, in 37, the first part in verse five. And here he says, and the father himself, which has sent me, has borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. Okay, now notice what he's saying here. He is speaking, he says here in John 5, 37a, he says, the father who has sent me, he has borne witness concerning me. So it is in the latter part or the latter half of this verse that he brings into focus concerning Elohim's shape. You know, he says, for it, for in it, uh, for in this verse, he's pointing out the voice and the shape of Elohim, talking about his father, for it speaks to them who question his being sent by his father. They was questioning who sent you, and he was explaining to them the one that sent him, which was the father. He said, you have neither heard his voice nor seen his shape. So in, in part B of the 37th verse of the fifth chapter of John, he says, you have neither seen his shape. So here we see Yeshua, the son of Elohim, referring to the form of his father. He says his father has a form. And he said, the form, you have, never, you, you have not seen his shape. You haven't seen it. Now, when we go to uh, John, the same gospel in the book of John, and the 14th chapter, we want to look at verse number 9. And to follow up on the same thought. So he told him, look here, you, 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 you have never seen 
my father's shape. So we know his father got a shape, okay? And then when we read in John, the 14th chapter, in verse 9, it says, Yahushua said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet have you not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how say you then, show us the Father? So he's telling Thomas, or I mean, he's telling Philip and the disciples that when you see him, you see the Father. And so when we look at this, uh, here Yeshua is identifying his appearance with that of his Father. So the question we would ask is, how in comparison does Yeshua's appearance coincide with the appearance of his Father? Okay, so we want to see how, how that is, because he already said they hadn't seen his shape, so that's indicative of the fact that he has a shape if they hadn't seen it. And then he goes on to point out uh, to his disciples and Philip, he said, when you see me, you see the Father. Okay, so let's, let's see how he and the Father looks, if that's the case. So let's, in the book of Daniel and Revelation, respectively, we are giving the appearance of the Father and his Son. So now what we want to do is go to the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, uh, we want to go to the seventh chapter, Daniel chapter seven. Okay, and in the seventh chapter of Daniel, we want to look at a verse or two there, Daniel chapter seven. Let me see, Daniel chapter seven. And in the seventh chapter, we want to look at verse nine. Daniel, we want to start with verse nine, okay? Now here in Daniel seven, nine, it says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the ancient of days did sit, whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool, his throne was like the fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire. So what we see here, we are told in Daniel 7, 9, that the father who is referred to as the ancient of days, whose garments was like snow, was white and the hair of his head like pure wool. And we also notice in the same seventh chapter of Daniel in verse 13, it says, he said, and I saw in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. So now what we're looking at, it talks and gives some description of the Ancient of Days, which is the Father, and it speaks about him being clothed in a white garment, white as snow, and it speaks about his hair being as white as wool or as pure as wool, which we know is white. And then in verse 13, it says the son of man, which we know is Yeshua, the Messiah. He was coming to the ancient of days. 
Okay, however, it doesn't give a description of the Son of Man, but it does give a description of the Ancient of Days, which is the Father. So now for a description of how the Son looks, we're going to turn to the book of Revelation. So when we turn to the book of Revelation, we should get a, a, a glimpse at, as to how the Son of Man, how he is described. Now, when we turn to the book of Revelation and we look at uh, Revelation chapter 1, and we want to look at verses 13 and 14, Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 1, we're looking at verses 13 to 14. Here's read says, It said, And in, in the midst of the seven menorahs, one like unto the son of Adam, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girded about the chest with a golden belt. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. Now what we notice here is that there's a similarity in the description of the Father and the Son. Now, when we look at the description in verse 13 of this same chapter, in, in verse 13 of Daniel 7, it only says the Son of Man. Okay, But when we get to Revelation, we see the Son of Man and how he looked. So as we look at that, even though we aren't given a description of the Son of Man, in Daniel, but yet in Revelation, we are. It states that one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a robe reaching to the feet. Okay? He's clothed reaching to the feet. And he says, he was walking amidst, in verse 13, the seven menorahs, okay, like unto the Son of Adam, and that word Adam is the same word we translate man. So he was walking in the midst of the seven menorahs, or the, what people call his candlesticks, and he was like unto the son of man or the son of Adam. And he was clothed with a garment down to the foot. All right? And notice, notice, notice further in verse 14, it says his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. Okay? So that is... That is almost the same description of the father. The father's hair of his head was like pure wool. The son of man's head and hair was like pure wool, like snow. Okay, so we see a similarity that Elohim and his son, who were, who, uh, were described in both Daniel and Revelation, have a similar uh, appearance. Now, even though we personally haven't seen Yah or his son's shape, yet we know that in the creation narrative, when the statement was made, let us create man in our image after our likeness in Genesis 1.26, it was an image they both shared. In other words, when they said, let us make man in our image, both the father and the son shared the same image. And they had settled upon the fact that when they made man, 
that their the image that they had they would put upon man. So if the son and his father both shared the same image and likeness, and then they say to themselves, let us make Adam in the same image as that of which we ourselves have, can we probe into the purpose as to why it is necessary that such an image be given to man that Elohim and his son had? However, before we start with why man was given the image of Elohim, let us first look at this imaging from the standpoint of the father and his son. And when we consider the fact that in the creation of the world, one of the initial acts which took place was the moving of Elohim's spirit, okay? So now let us look at this act of the spirit of Elohim moving, okay? And that takes us to Genesis chapter 1, and we want to look at verse number 2. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2 says, it said, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Ruach Elohim moved upon the face of the waters. Okay. So one of the first acts that we see in creation is the spirit moving upon the waters. Now, if the spirit that was brooding on the face of the waters was Elohim's spirit, then one must ask oneself, where did the spirit of Elohim come from? If it, if it moved upon those waters, and that was one of the first acts of creation, is the spirit moving. So we ask ourselves, where did the spirit come from? Naturally, if it is the spirit of Elohim, then such a spirit came from Elohim himself. If Elohim's spirit came from he himself, then couldn't we say Elohim himself was, then could not we say that within Elohim himself was where the spirit was housed inside of him? So when the spirit moved in creation, it came from Elohim himself. So Elohim was the one that the spirit came forth from because the Bible says the spirit of Elohim. So if it's the spirit of Elohim, it came forth from Elohim. If based upon the evidence that Elohim, the father, harbors his spirit within himself, and he sends forth his spirit wheresoever he will, then we could draw the conclusion that Elohim himself is so structured that his spirit can come and go from him at will. When we consider the morphology of Elohim, we are concerning ourselves with what we call theoanatomy, which is the structure and image of Elohim. Let us consider the theoanatomy. Now, the word theo is the Greek word for God or Elohim. Now, in theoanatomy, which is dealing with the body of Elohim, see, anatomy deals with the structure 
and the shape of the body of something. And so when we deal with the theo anatomy, we are dealing with the structure and the design of Elohim himself. If Elohim has a body, this would mean that he has a physical being which houses his spirit. If Adam was made in the image and the likeness of Elohim, to some extent, the antinomical structure of his being was like that of his creator. This would mean that if Adam was created in the image of Elohim with a physical and a spiritual nature, then his creator also had a physical and a spiritual nature. The Bible testifies to that our creator has an anatomical being composed of physical as well as spiritual essence. We can observe some of his physical features in the various writings of the Holy Writ, especially do we see in the books of Daniel and Revelation his physical features, which are accented. In the book of Daniel, Daniel we read, it speaks about his wearing clothes white like snow with a head with his hair like pure wool. In Revelation chapter 5, we see another description. Let us turn to Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, we want to look at the fifth chapter. Because we are saying that Elohim has both physical and spiritual traits. But we want to look particularly at his physical being. Because uh, we know we have a spiritual being. Okay, now in Genesis, I mean in Revelation that is. Uh, chapter 5, we look at verse number 1. Notice what it says. This is talking about the Father. It said, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a sefer written within and on the backside and sealed with seven seals. Now notice, it says in his right hand. So we see that he had a hand. He had a right hand and he was holding a book. And this book or the scrolls had a seven seals upon it, okay? And they were trying to figure out who was going to open the book, okay? And then, uh, as they was questioning who can open the book, in verse 5 it says, And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. So the person... Uh, that is called of the tribe of Judah and the root of David and the lion of the tribe of Judah, that was Yeshua. But the one sitting on the throne that it was holding the book, that was the father. Okay. So now let us look at verse seven of the same fifth chapter of Revelation. Verse seven says this. It said, and he came and took the sefer. In other words, the lion of the tribe of Judah, which was Yeshua, he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. So we see as two people, his two persons here, Yeshua is taking the, uh, the scrolls out of the hand of the father, and the father is the one that's sitting on the throne. Okay, so thus far, we can it speaks about the father sitting upon the throne 
with the scroll in his right hand. Okay. So here we're seeing features, physical features of him. From these passages of scriptures, we can see that Elohim's spiritual nature is accompanied by his physical nature. While it is true that we are told from scripture that no man has seen Elohim at any time. However, the Holy Writ describes him as being having a distinctive, discernible traits. Moreover, listen to what Yeshua has to say about the Spirit. Let, let, let us turn, let us turn to Luke. And in the book of Luke, we want to look at the 24th chapter, Luke 24. And in Luke 24, we want to look at verse 39. Okay. Luke 24, 39. And now here we say, this is what Yeshua is saying. He said, behold, uh, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, handle me and see for a Rugach has not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Okay, now, even though this is talking about Yeshua, the point that I want to point out here is that Yeshua is saying that if he was only a spirit, then he would not have flesh and blood, nor would he have bones. A spirit, he says, doesn't have flesh and blood and bones. A spirit is spirit. Okay. So when we deal with the spirit of Elohim, we have to come to the same conclusion that the spirit doesn't have flesh and bones, but the spirit comes from a place that does have a physical being. It comes from a place that has a physical being. So when Yeshua was resurrected and they thought it was a spirit, he said, you know, I can't be a spirit because if I were a spirit, I would not have flesh, flesh and bone. Okay. So what he's explaining, that spirit in and of itself does not have any physical features, okay? That's, that's what he's trying to, to bring out, to let him know that when he resurrected from the grave, he just, he, just, he just didn't come forth just as a spirit, but he came forth bodily form. Because if you remember later on in his ministry, after he had resurrected, the Bible says he was not only flesh and blood, but the Bible said he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was still in him, but he is trying to, at this juxtaposition, is to let him know that even though I resurrected from the dead and you looking at me like this is some spirit, he said, because if, it, if, I, if I was just purely spirit, you know, I wouldn't have flesh and blood. So that's the point that he was kind of. Now, now, here in, uh, in, in uh, Luke 24, 39, he says a spirit has not flesh and bones as ye see me have. In other words, he is saying to his disciples, if I were a purely spirit, I wouldn't have flesh and bones, even though we are also told from scriptures by Yeshua that Elohim is a spirit. Now, when we turn to John, let us look at John again. And the Gospel of John, let's turn to the Gospel of John. And we want to look at chapter 4 and also the verse 24. John 4, 24 says, uh, Yeshua says, Elohim is 
that Ruach, or in other words, Elohim, is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in the Ruach and in truth, or as the King James would say, they would worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay. This text standing alone doesn't sweep away all of the other texts which support an anatomical nature. In other words, even though Yeshua was telling that to well, the woman at the well that when you worship, you worship Elohim, he said Elohim is a spirit. But we cannot take this text to say that because he said he was a spirit, that he doesn't have a physical form, but it is merely pointing out to us that it is our spirit which gets in touch with his spirit, spirit which is true worship. So in John 4.24 does not negate all of the other texts which verifies his physical discernible traits. It is just simply saying if we're going to worship correctly, our spirit has to be connected with his spirit. Because after all, if we die, then our spirits can no longer praise Elohim. So it is with our spirits that we praise and worship with him. Not that he doesn't have a physical form, but he is saying Elohim is a spirit. His life-given spirit. And with our life-given spirit, when we get in touch with his spirit, then we are able to worship. We often say that Elohim has uh, human traits, thus focusing upon the comparing him to mankind. However, it, it isn't Yah who has features like man, but rather there is just the opposite focus of man having features like Elohim. See, Elohim's features was first, and then he made man. And when he made man, we can't say that Elohim has features like man. We have to say man has features like Elohim, because Elohim is the one that gave him his in image and likeness from the beginning. For after all, it was Elohim whom man's features were made after and not the other way around. Not only do we have, not only do we see that Elohim's bodily features are concrete and discernible, but it is within these features that his spirit is housed. With this in mind, we must draw the conclusion that if Yah has a son, wouldn't you say that he took from his father the form that he had? So when we look at the son, then the son, as we have pointed out, has the same shape and form as his father. And we looked at Revelation and Daniel, and we saw the similarity of these two individuals. Okay, so if we draw the conclusion that they both have the same form, if Yah has a son, wouldn't you say that he took the form of having both a spiritual and a physical nature. If the father had it, then so much the son have it. Now, in the book of Genesis, we are told in the creation story that everything that Yah created in both the botanical and the zoological spheres would reproduce after their kind. So when we read in Genesis 
1, 11, 12, and a number of other verses, 24 and 25 and 26, it talks about everything that he created in the plant world as well as the animal world, he said they would reproduce after their kind. Therefore, if all things living reproduce after their kind, wouldn't it be logical that Yah reproduce after his kind what or whoever came forth from him would be both spiritual and physical like he himself. So naturally, this would mean that when he had a son, when Elohim had a son, he would be a duplicate of himself. Now, interestingly, is that one of the names of Yeshua in heaven was Michael. Now, when you look at uh, Daniel chapter 10 and verses 13 and 21, let's turn, let's turn there, Daniel 10. And we want to look at verses uh, 13 and 21, Daniel. Okay. Now, in this particular uh, passage, it points out that he had a name. Okay, we want to look at that name. Okay. Okay, Daniel. And chapter 10. Okay, and in chapter 10, we'll look at verse number 13. And here 13 says, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty-one days, one and twenty days, but lo, Michael, one of the chief prince, came to help me. Okay, so it's pointing out that when Yeshua was in heaven, they called him Michael, okay? And in verse 21 also of the same 10th chapter of Daniel says, it said, but I will show you, Elotav, that which is noted in the scriptures of truth. Okay, now I want you to notice this particularly. It said, and there is none that holds with me in these things, but Michael, your prince. Now, here's what I want you to see. It's calling, it's saying that Gabriel, when he was explaining some prophecies to Daniel, he says, he was explaining to him the scriptures of truth, and that there is none that holds with me in these, but Michael, your prince. Now, this Michael must be Yeshua, because uh, Gabriel is saying, outside of me, which is the one of the top angels, which was the top angel in understanding prophecy, he said, there is no other person in heaven and earth that understands this more so than I do, and that's Michael the prince. So we have to know that Michael must be Yeshua because he was the son of Elohim, and by being the son of Elohim, he and Gabriel are the foremost in prophecy, and Gabriel is saying, the only other person outside of me, not any of the other angels, know about this prophecy, but Michael. And Michael, okay? All right. Then let us turn to Revelation. Let us turn to Revelation. In Revelation, we want to look at chapter 12, Revelation 12. 
So here in Revelation 12, we want to uh, look at Revelation 12 and verse 7, okay? Now in Revelation 12, verse 7, it says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. So we see that Michael was the archangel. Now, what does an archangel mean? An arch means the chief, and an angel is a messenger. And so he says that Michael, who was one who was over the angelical host, he's the one that got his host together while Satan got his host together, and they fought in heaven. But the point that I'm trying to point out here is his name was Michael. Now, in Hebrew, the name Michael means who is like Elohim. Or if we use what we generally say is that Michael means one who is like God. Now, when you look at the name Michael, it means who is like Elohim, because when you have the E-L on the end of a word, that is the name for God or the name for Elohim. Okay, so when you look at the name of Michael, it means who is like Elohim. That's Yeshua is the only being in the entire universe who is like or exactly the one who conforms to his father. Consequently, if the father's son came forth in his image and likeness, wouldn't that also mean that he possessed the same features as his father? If the father has a spirit residing in him, then naturally Yeshua would have a spirit also residing in him. If the father and the son both have a spirit within their being, then could not we conclude that their anatomical being was for the purpose of Elohim's spirit to dwell within their being? We would also ask the question, what was the significance of having Elohim spirit housed in their being other than merely that was his order of, of being? In other words, what we're saying, what was the reason of their spirit being inside of their being other than the fact that this was his divine order. In other words, he had the physical and he had the spiritual. So outside of that, what other reason why he would have the spirit to dwell within that being? However, when Yeshua was in, incarcerated in the flesh, it was the spirit that brought forth him from Mary's womb. So let us turn now to Matthew chapter 1, and we want to look at verse 20. Matthew's uh, chapter 1 and verse 20. Okay, now in Matthew 1 and chapter 20, here's what it says. It said, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of Yahuwah appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, fear not to take unto you Miriam, your woman, for that which is conceived in her is of the Ruach HaKodesh. Okay. In other words, he's saying, don't fear to take Mary to, you, to be your wife, for she is conceived of by the Holy Spirit. Okay. 
by the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh. In other words, he said the Holy Spirit is dealing with this, okay? So from Yeshua's birth to his death, he was led of the spirit of Elohim. So however, there was an occasion whereby Yeshua made a statement which gives us a significance of having Elohim spirit. In other words, we want to see uh, why was it that he put a spirit uh, in Elohim? Or why did Elohim have a spirit within his son? Okay. So now we want to turn to, again, to the gospel, the gospel of John. And as we look at the gospel of John, we want to go to chapter two. Okay, we want to go to the Besora of Yochanan, or the Gospel of John. We'll look at chapter 2, and we'll look, look at verse number 16. Okay, because we're trying to discern, why did he put a spirit within Yeshua, just like he has a spirit within himself? Okay, now in verse 16, it says this, And he said unto them, that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. Okay, now, here in this particular scenario, what we find is that they are selling and, and exchanging money in the, in the synagogue. And when, when Yeshua comes up on this, he recognized that something has gone wrong. They're not supposed to be doing this. However, there was, in this occasion, he makes a statement. And we want to look at that statement. Yeshua says to those who were profaning the temple by buying and selling that they should not make his father's house a house of merchandise. Okay. He said, you shouldn't do that. And then in verse 17, it says, and his Talmudim or his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of your house has eaten me up. Now, when he said that, uh, the zeal of the house has eaten me up. That was actually found in the book of Isaiah. Okay. In Isaiah chapter 69 and, and verse 9, part 8. So Yeshua says to those who were profaning the temple by buying and selling that they should not make his father's house a house of merchandise. Moreover, this event taking place was also recorded by David in the Psalms when he says that the zeal of your house has eaten me up. However, the Jews asked him for a sign as to what he was doing. And what we want to pay close attention to is Yeshua's reply. In other words, you driving us out of the temple from buying and selling they wanted a sign. Now, now I want you to pay close attention to what he said. He said to them, destroy. Now, let me see. That's found in, in verse 19. In verse 19, Yeshua answered and said unto them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now, notice what he said. We're going to pay potential attention to that. He says that you destroy this temple, and in three days, I'm going to raise it up. 
However, they took this statement to mean that he was talking about the temple of stone of which took 40 and six years to build. If you notice verse 20, it says, then said the Yahudims or the Jews, 46 years was this temple and building and you would raise it up in three days? He said, you gonna do that in three days? But the Bible in verse 21 goes on to explain what he was talking about. It says, but he spoke of the temple of his body. That's what he was talking about. In other words, when he would be crucified, resurrected again, and that would take three days, and verse 22 says, when therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scriptures and the word which Yahuwah had said. In other words, he was not talking about that physical temple of mortar and brick and stone. He was talking about the temple of his body, okay? But we are told that the temple he was referring to was his own body in verse 21. And when they crucified him, and after three days, he would be resurrected. However, the thing that we want to concern ourselves with is that he referred to himself as a temple, in the old, in the New Testament, we are given at least two words in Greek for temple. And let us look at them. The first, there is the word heron, H-I-E-R-O-N, heron. And heron carries the meaning of something that is sacred. It could be a priestly edifice, or it could be a temple, okay? a literal physical temple. That was one word, Haran, that they used for temple. But that was a second word that was used for temple. And there is the word naos, N-A-O-S, naos. And naos carries the meaning of a dwelling place or an inner sanctuary. It is this latter word that Yeshua used and defined in himself. He was referring to himself as a temple. If he is a temple, then we would ask ourselves the question, what is in a temple? Earlier, we learned that it is Elohim spirit, which is that is housed in both the Father and the Son. Therefore, if Yeshua speaks of himself as being a temple, it would mean that he was a place where Elohim spirit could dwell. Even though Yeshua, when he made the statement, destroy this temple, he was referring to himself. Yet as he was cleansing the temple of stone, it was a lesson in how we should keep even that temple free from profanity or from, uh, or from being uh, defiled. When we study both the, 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 the Mosaic tabernacle in the wilderness and the Solomonic temple that Solomon had built, these edifices were places of worship. And just as our bodily temple should be clean, so should the places where we worship be clean. Why should they be thus? Simply because they are places for Yah's spirit to dwell. 
So what we are experiencing is that both the Father and the Son are temples whereby the Spirit of Elohim dwells. Now that we can see the purpose of the image and the likeness of Yah, we now proceed to man having the image and likeness of Elohim. So Elohim has a temple with his spirit. And when Yeshua came to earth, he said, destroy this temple. And in three days, I'm going to raise it up. The Holy Spirit would get back into him and resurrect him from the dead. So what he is saying is, I am a temple. And because I am a temple, it is the spirit that dwells within my temple. Now, if it is true that Yah, the father, and Yeshua, his son, were, were temples of the Holy Spirit, and Adam was created in their image, wouldn't we naturally and rightfully assume that when he created Adam, he also created him to be a temple for the indwelling of his spirit? For he wanted his beings of whom he had created to reflect his appearance as well as his behavioral practices who would inwardly and outwardly be like him. Elohim wanted them to be like him in their appearance as well as their behavior. So he said, let us make man in our image and likeness. Therefore, when Adam was created by Elohim, it was with the intentions that he too would house the spirit of Elohim within himself. So when we are told in Genesis 2-7 that Elohim breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, he was putting his spirit into a temple. Adam was the first human temple upon earth to have the indwelling of Elohim's spirit. With this in mind, let us now turn to some statements made by the Apostle Paul concerning the human temple. So we see that the image and the likeness of Elohim was for a temple for Elohim's spirit to dwell within that temple. Now what we want to do is go to 1 Corinthians. We want to go to the book of Corinthians. And in this book, we want to go to the third chapter of 1 Corinthians. Okay, the third chapter, 1 Corinthians, and we want to look at verses 16 and 17. Now notice what 16 and 17 says. It says here in verse 16 of the third chapter of 1 Corinthians, Know ye not that ye are the temple of Elohim? So here Paul is pointing out we are temples of Elohim. That's what we are. And that the Ruach Elohim dwells in you. In other words, he said Elohim want his spirit to dwell in you. He said, if any man defile the temple of Elohim, him shall Elohim destroy. For the temple of Elohim is holy, which temple you ye are. So when we look at this, it said Elohim made and shaped the bodily temple of Adam to be for the indwelling of his spirit. He wants us to be a shrine for his spirit. Isn't it reasonable to understand that if Yah's spirit comes from him, who has a certain shape and design, 
then isn't it logical that he wants his spirit to inhabit the same type of shape and design of he himself? Moreover, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17, he said, if any man defiles the temple of Elohim, okay, him shall Elohim destroy, for the temple of Elohim is holy, which temple ye are. So Elohim doesn't want his spirit to inhabit a defiled temple. Yeshua said, Yeshua points out that what defiles a person is found in Matthew 15, verses 19 and 20, when it says, he points out to us what a defiled person is. He says that in Matthew 15, 19 and 20, he says that a defiled person is that which comes out of the heart are evil. Out of the things that come out of the heart is what makes a person evil. And he says their thoughts of murder, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. He said these are the things which defile a man. In other words, when our temple is defiled is when our heart harbors evil within itself. It makes the temple defile. However, what we will notice is that Paul tells us that fornication is the only sin that is committed against the body. All other sins are outside of the body. Okay, now, when, when we look at what Paul is saying here, he's making an analogy that when we... We sin, that is one thing, but when we commit fornication, then that fornication that we are committing uh, is a sin on the inside of our being, okay? Now, when we look at the sin on the inside of our being, which is only one sin, that can only enter into the being of an individual is fornication. Okay, now, when we read in the same 1 Corinthians, chapter 6 this time, chapter 6, and we look at verses uh, 17 and 18, notice what it says. It said, but he that is joined unto Yahuwah is Yashad, or is his child, or is his child, which means that he is joined in unity to Yahuwah's spirit. In other words, but he that is joined unto Yahuwah is Yachad. In other words, he's unified with Elohim's spirit. He's unified, okay? He said, if your, your spirit is unified with Elohim's spirit, he said, flee fornication, okay? He said, you shouldn't be dealing with fornication because Elohim's spirit is pure and he does not want to intermingle into the temple of an impure spirit. And so verse 18 says, flee fornication. Now, here's what I want you to pay attention to. He said, every sin that a man does is without the body. 
In other words, every sin that you commit is outside of the body. He said, but he that commits fornication sins against his own body. So when you engage in fornication, which is whoremongering, he says, that's a sin that is committed on the inside of your body. That's the only sin that is committed on the inside of the body. Every other sin is on the outside. So when we, when we look at that scenario, uh, Paul tells us that fornication is the only sin that is committed against the body and all other sins outside of the body. When we observe all of the Ten Commandments, what we notice is that the only one we commit that takes place in the body is fornication, which is a breach of the Seventh Commandment. See, when Elohim says in the Seventh Commandment, you should not commit adultery. He said that's the only commandment that if you commit it, you're sinning on the inside of you, okay? The rest of the sins on the outside. Now, if you take your time to go over all of the Ten Commandments, you'll find that the seventh one is the only one that we commit on the inside of our body. Now, when we talk about seven, it is generally understood to be number that rep the number that represents perfection. So if rightly understood in this context, it would mean that if seven is the commandment that deals with fornication and adultery and whoremongering, it would mean that whenever a person committed fornication, and it's the seventh commandment, it would mean they, they have committed the perfect sin. Fornication is a perfect sin. Why is it perfect? Because it is the one that enters on the inside of you. All of the rest is on the outside. Here, Elohim is pointing out to us the importance of keeping our temple, which have been created in the image and the likeness of Elohim, clean and holy. And if we can keep that temple clean and holy, he is saying to us, that then his spirit can dwell in there because we are married to him. And if we are married to him, we definitely can't have anything within our temple to defile our marriage relationship. Now let us turn to, um, in the book of Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, we want to look at the 13th chapter in closing Hebrews 13. And we want to look at verse number four. Here the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 4, the Apostle Paul says, marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. So he's saying if you're married to Elohim, you can't defile the bed because you end up with Elohim. But what makes the bed defiled is if he goes on to say in verse 4, but a whoremongers and idolaters, Elohim would judge. He said, now if you're married to Elohim and you... And, and, and you're holding on to some other God or some other Elohim or doing things that you should not be doing, he says, that's actually spiritual adultery and you're a whoremonger and Elohim's going to judge that. He said, but if you're married to him and doing the right thing, he said, the bed is undefiled, just like with the human couple, even so with Elohim. So, once we are redeemed, by the blood of Yeshua, we are to be temples for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
as he intended for the first Adam. Let us pray. Our loving Father, as we seen the morphology and the design of Elohim and his son, and when they said, let us make man as our image, we were made in the same image and the likeness of Elohim. And you made us thus so that your Holy Spirit can dwell within us because we are your human temples to represent you here on earth. So help us, O Heavenly Father, that when we come to Yeshua, that his blood may cleanse all of the spiritual defilement that we have accumulated in our hearts so that we can have a clean temple, a fit place for the indwelling of your Holy Spirit. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen and amen. 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 Wow. Um, it's a lot to unpack there. I mean, it's it's a lot of things you brought out that I never really thought of. I mean, um, for the first, how you tied in Yahusha Temple as a dwelling place for Yah. And then, as you said that, it reminded me of uh, 1 Corinthians 6.19, which kind of, he's kind of stated the same thing in uh, what you have stated in Corinthians 3, uh, 6 and 17, that our body is a temple and it's a place for Elohim to dwell within us. And I've heard that verse many times, but I never really under you know, took it into the context as when you stated as now, as you know, when we look at our temple, not only should we put the proper things in it, but mm -hmm. also the proper things, not just physical, but also mental and spiritual and mm -hmm. all. And then it was also interesting too, how you brought out about uh, the, uh, the adultery. You know, a lot of times we think of adultery as physical, of, uh, you know, someone uh, having sexual relations with someone outside of marriage. But we never think of the spiritual aspect of adultery, of serving other gods, doing what other gods, or primarily Satan, what he wants us to do, as opposed to what Yahuwah has stated for us to do. That even like when we serve these Christmases, these Easter's, we are committing spiritual adultery, and we don't think about that in that case. That's true. You know, and I just found that really profound. You know how you tied all of that in. It's it, it, that's that's really was deep. Uh -huh. And uh, now also, I just wonder. With Adam and Eve, did they also have a woolly hair that was white? Well, I, like Yahuwah did. Did they have what? Woolly hair that was white as Yahuwah and his son. You know, that's a good question, but here's, here's my take on that. Mm -hmm. I really don't think they started off with white hair, mm -hmm. but I think as they would have aged, they probably would have gotten it. That's, that was the next thing I was wondering, because, you know, as we as humans, as we age and get older and we know more, our hair starts to turn from whatever color it was to white. Now, now it's interesting that you raise that question. I'll tell you why. Mm -hmm. Because when when they talked about the father having white hair mm -hmm. and just like you said, when we age, we get white hair. Yeah. 
Now, isn't it ironical that they would speak about the father as the ancient of days? Yes. Yes. Because that gives him age and it gives him white hair. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it goes to show maybe how, you know, with his hair pure white like snow, how long he's been around more than mm-hmm. everybody. Because right. I have never really seen many people who have pure white hair. They still, you can still see some, if they have black hair, you can still see a little bit of black in there, a little bit of gray or whatever color. If they have red hair, you can still see a little bit of the coloring in their hair. I have Uh still yet to really see somebody with pure white hair, Right. you know, and I just wonder how white was maybe even Moses's hair, you know, and some of the other uh, uh, people of the Bible that lived a hundred and some years, even Adam and Eve, you know, cause what they lived, uh, I think Adam lived 900 and some years, I believe. That's true. Right. So how white was his hair possibly? Right. And, and he makes two conspiracy about the ancient of days in Yeshua. Mm-hmm. You say it was white like wool. And also it compares to snow. And we know those are two very bright, uh, whites. But you know, not only is that, we also know as a lot of times white with purity. Uh-huh. So is that saying that Yahuwah was growing from his head wool is that he's pure, untainted? Uh, yeah. yeah. I, would, I would think so. Uh, his entire being was, it was, it was pure. And, and even the hair is, is an indication of that. Because uh-huh. even the priests in the days of old, they wore white turbans on the head. Mm-hmm. So, so when you look at Yeshua in the book of Revelation, then, then when they said his hair was white like wool and his head was white, he possibly later had a white turban on his head mm. as well as uh, his hair underneath the turban being white. Mm. Wow. Now, you also said that the word Michael mm-hmm. in Hebrew means who is like Elohim. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. Wow, I found that profound. This is the first time I'm ever hearing that Michael was Yahusha himself. Right. And it, it makes sense because I was watching the other day a guy who was a former Mason, and he was saying that Masons don't really have a problem with other religions and Christianity, Judaism, Islam. They don't really have a problem with that. But they have a major problem with Yahusha. Mm-hmm. He said, you can talk about any other thing, but Yahusha is despised. And, you know, it made, it made me think like, I can understand why he is so despised because Satan wants his position mm-hmm. the whole time. So if someone is taking his position that he feels that's rightfully his. Now, I don't know if Yahusha has been around as long as Satan has or not, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not sure if that's in scripture or not, but it makes sense that he's so despised because of that. Mm. You know, and maybe, I don't know, Satan maybe felt like he was deserving of, you know, well, we know he felt he was deserving of uh, his son's spot. And maybe he probably felt, well, I should take the King's spot too. Yeah, but that, but uh, but along with that question that you're asking, uh, mm-hmm. then uh, Isaiah he he speaks somewhat to that that particular situation. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
Now, uh, if we read in, I believe, uh, let me see, uh, I think it's Isaiah 14 and verse 12. Well, let me see, hold on. Okay, let, let, let's look at I, in that question you asked, uh, uh -huh. Isaiah 14, Isaiah 14. and ver yeah, Isaiah 14, 14, Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 14 said, mm -hmm. he said, I will ascend above the height of the clouds. I will be like El Elyon. In other words, I will be like the Most High. Mm -hmm. El Elyon mean the Most High Elohim. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, now if you notice, it says, he said, I want to be like L.L. Mm -hmm. Young. All mm -hmm. right. Okay. Now, when you talk about somebody being like L.L. Young, mm -hmm. you're not talking about he wanted to be like the father. Yeah. He's saying, I want to be like the most high. Now, the word Michael means one who is like Elohim. Okay. So when he says, I want to be like the most high, he wants the position of, of Yeshua because uh -huh. in heaven, he was the one that was like most high. Matter of fact, that's what his name meant. Uh -huh. He was like the most high one who is like Elohim. That's uh -huh. what it meant. One who is like Elohim. So when he said, I want to be like the most high, he's saying, I want to remove you from that position of being the most high. And I want to take that position that you got. Wow. See, but what we must understand is that if we properly understand the scriptures, is that when we look in the book of Proverbs, when he says that he made this world and stuff, and that wisdom was with him, the wisdom that was with Elohim and making the world mm -hmm. was his son. So therefore, if his son was with him making the worlds, we have to also understand that he made the angels, so he existed even before the angels, because Yeshua was part of the process of making the angels. Oh, wow. Okay. So, 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 so Elohim and his son existed before all things. Mm. And this is why, uh, Elohim was trying to tell Satan, you can't take the place of my son because my son has always been with me. Mm. You are a created being. You don't have the power to be in the councils that he is in. Wow. He's my son. He came forth from me. Uh -huh. We made you from, from another substance and another shape. Mm. Mm. And, and, you know, too, that makes sense because going back to the white woolly hair, how he, you brought out how his son also had white woolly hair, uh -huh. which the basics say he's done been around a long time, just like as of his father. Uh -huh. you know. Yeah, just like when he was talking to the uh, Jews and he told the Jews that, you know, uh, he says that, you're seeking to kill me. They said, who's seeking to kill you? He said, you are because, uh, y y y y in a sense, he was pointing out to them that if you were actually, actually the, the sons of Abraham, he said, you do the work of Abraham. Mm -hmm. And then they turned turn around and told him, they said, how do you know anything about Abraham? He said, you're not even, you're not even 50 years old yet. Mm -hmm. And then he turned around and told them, he says, before Abraham was, I am. And when he said that, they were taken back because they said, if he's saying he was before Abraham and before Abraham was, I am, he is actually saying, I'm God. Mm -hmm. And see, they, they, they could not fathom that. And he's letting them know that he was older than Abraham. And when Abraham did what he said, he said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. 
And then when you deal with his crucifixion, his whole crucifixion, the reason why they crucified him was because he said he was the son of Elohim, which meant as long as Elohim was here and had a son, he was here as well. And they said, you're a human being and you're telling us that you have been here before mm -hmm. and that you are the one that's going to judge us. And when you come back as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you must be Elohim. And they said, because you say you're Elohim, that's why we putting you on this cross. Wow. Huh. Wow. Before we close out this segment, uh, there's one more question I have. You oh. mentioned earlier that what Yah did in creation, he also did in salvation and that they are connected. Could you expound mm -hmm. on that just a little bit more? Okay, what I was trying to point out is that uh, if, we, if we intensely study nature, that we'll be able to see also a salvation in, in the creation. Mm -hmm. See, a lot of times we might look at creation as one thing and salvation as another, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, let, let's look at creation. Let's take one of the basic things in creation, and that's found in Genesis 1-2 uh, that we started off with. It mm -hmm. said, The spirit of Elohim moved upon the face of the waters, and Elohim said, Let there be light, and there was light. Mm -hmm. Okay, now if we study creation methodically, what we discover is, just like in creation, the first thing that you needed in order to have a creation is what? You needed the Holy Spirit. You had to have the spirit. You cannot have life without the spirit because life comes through the spirit. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if life comes through the spirit, which is physical life, then when you look at spiritual life, then what is the first thing you need for spiritual life? You need the spirit mm -hmm. because what is the first, when, what is the first thing that a baby, when a baby come out to womb, what is the first thing that a baby wants? Does it want air? And when you slap the baby on the buttocks, it began to cry, and that cry makes the lungs bring in the air. Mm -hmm. So just like physical birth, you need air. In the spiritual birth, you also need air, mm -hmm. which is the Holy Spirit. So when you look at creation, we have to learn to study it from this point of salvation as well. And when we study salvation, we are studying the creation. And then after he had created what? The... Uh, if he had given life, what was the first thing that, 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 that he needed? Uh, after that, he needed light, right? Yeah. He said, let there be light. Cause he knew that you had to work in light. Mm -hmm. So when we come into out of the womb of baptism, what do we need? We also need the light. Mm -hmm. We have to walk by the light. Now, isn't it interesting that when you study the sanctuary, when you study the sanctuary, what do you see just before you, go into the, to the, uh, 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 sanctuary, you see two pieces of furniture in the court. The first one is where the sacrifice was, mm -hmm. which represents the death of Yeshua. And then after that, you have the brazen labor where you wash off the blood and everything and you cleanse yourself. Just like the Holy spirit came down in creation over the water that once you are clean, then you are ready to go in the sanctuary. And what is the first thing that you experience when you go in, this, in, in the first apartment of the sanctuary? You experience the light of the seven branch menorah and the book of Revelation said the seven uh, lamps that was on, a, on the top of the, the menorah, they represent the Holy Spirit. So again, you see, number one, 
in creation, you need the spirit. And number two, you need the light. And so when we are born again, number one, we need the spirit. And then when we go into the holy place, we have the light of the Holy Spirit. So I'm, so when you study creation, you're also studying salvation. There's a connection between the two. All true science, all true science aligns itself with the Bible. Wow. It aligns itself with science. True science always aligns itself with the Bible. False science does not align itself with the Bible. Mm. Wow. That's profound. Wow. Up next is Let's Talk About That. Welcome again to our next segment. Let's talk about that. Today, I want to talk about tattoos, piercings, brandings, and scarrings. And as you know, I remember it was a time where you could barely find anybody with a tattoo. Now they are so common. So one of the verses I kind of trying to we want to try to get us some understanding from. So if you have your Bibles, if you can turn to the book of Leviticus, the Vakira, I believe, Leviticus. Did I say that right, Pastor? Is it Vakira? That's basically it, but I just pronounced it Diva Ring. Diva Ring. Is it, I thought that's mm-hmm. Deuteronomy. Diva Ring. Yeah. Uh, I thought Deuteronomy is Devarim. Well, Deuteronomy. Oh, well, you're right. I was in the book of Deuteronomy. Oh, oh yeah. Vayakra. 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 That's the Leviticus. uh, Vayakra. Vayakra. Uh, So we want to turn to Vayakra or Leviticus 19, verse 28. And it reads... Ye shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you. I am Yahuwah. Now, also, we want to turn to the book of the Devarim, also the book of Deuteronomy. Verse, uh, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 14, Devarim chapter 14. And we're going to read verse one. And it reads, ye are the children of Yahuwah Elohim. Ye shall not cut yourselves nor make any baldness between your eyes for the dead. So, Pastor, my question is this. Do these verses refer to us getting tattoos uh, piercings and scarrings and brandings on our skin. Okay. Uh, uh, well, let me put it this way. Uh, what these verses are doing, and I want you to keep this in mind because a, a number of other texts uh, would fit the same description, but here's what we're looking at. Mm-hmm. Uh, tattoos back then didn't exist, okay? They okay. didn't exist. But what we are looking at is the principle, mm-hmm. a principle that he's articulating here. Okay. So once, once you get a principle, the principle is operative uh, in tattoos or engravings and stuff uh, on, on a person. Mm-hmm. So, so when we look at a, at, at a principle, just like we might say uh, in a principle of health is that we should eat correctly. Mm-hmm. 
And maybe back in those days, they did not have heroin and a lot of the drugs that we take in our system. And the person said, well, should we take this into our system? And the person said, well, where is it in the Bible? I can't find it. Uh-huh. Well, you may not uh, define just that particular uh, herb in the Bible, but the principle is, 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 is simply that you do not take anything into your body that would defile or hurt your body. Okay. The principle is there, even though it may not mention that particular herb. So even though tattoos is not mentioned particular in the Bible, the principle is there. Uh-huh. And Elohim is saying that when you deal with your body, he didn't want any engravings or any marks that was put on your body. Now, in the light of the subject that we have studied, now we can see that if Elohim created us in his image, are we saying that there's something we can add to the image that he didn't give us? Mm. You know, okay. what? in other words, uh, maybe, maybe he made us imperfect, so therefore we have to add something to it. Mm. But we know that's not the case. Yeah. If he has an image and his son has an image, <laughs> which are perfect, mm-hmm. and he made us in that image, it suggests to us that we have a perfect image. And that we should take care of that rather than trying to add to that. Now, there's a difference between wearing clothes that are embellished, uh-huh. but it's a different thing that when we start trying to make marks and stuff on our bodies, and then in Deuteronomy, he not only talks about the mark, but he's telling you that many people are making these marks and cravings on their bodies because of the dead. Uh-huh. Okay, now he's the Elohim of the living. And he said, he says in the commandments, have no other Elohims before me. Yes. So when we start making engravings and putting marks on our bodies to represent certain things, mm-hmm. then what we are saying and what we are doing, we are defacing the property of Elohim. Mm-hmm. Now we did talk about how you could put things on the inside, like fornication and, and a lot of evil on the inside. But there's a lot of things you can do to the outside image as well. Okay. See, you can eat right and do all the other stuff, but then if you're making marks and stuff on your body, what are you saying? You're saying, well, Elohim didn't make me as I wanted to be made, and I got something better that I can do to my body. Or you're saying here is that basically I'm identifying with some worldly practices. So if the world does it, I do it. Wow. But the Bible says, if you love Elohim, you must hate the world. See, the yeah. world got all kind of engravings. And a lot of our role models who come up, like the basketball stars and different people who are celebrities, what do they do? The first thing that you see on that court is that they got tattoos over their bodies. Yeah. And a lot of people who are not thinking, the first thing they do, they say, well, if they are our role models and they're doing it, then I can do it. Yeah. But that's that's a worldly practice. Yeah. So if that's a worldly practice, what significance would it have when Elohim is telling you have no other Elohims before me. And if you got these worldly markings on you, you are plainly showing that you love the world more so than you love him. You know, it's interesting. You say that it's a worldly practice because I don't think a a lot of these ministers out here think of that in that way, because it's a lot of ministers that I don't seen, especially younger ministers who have tattoos, you know, 
And I remember it's it's a young rapper. He's a Christian rapper, supposedly, who mm-hmm. and he has tattoos. And I and I'm like, you know, how can you cannot merge Yahuwah's plans with the world's plans? You know, you can't take on things of the world and try to apply that with Yahushua. And I think you know a lot of these religions tend to do that. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this then. Uh, with him stating that in scripture, is getting these things uh, sin, committing a sin against Yah? Yeah. Well, when you, uh, well, let me let let let's take this thing all the way back to Genesis. I want to point out something here. Uh-huh. Uh, when you talk about the engravings and, and all, all all of that, okay. Let us go to um, let me see. Let me see. Let's go to Genesis and let me see. Uh, uh, let me see. Uh, let's see. All right, let's go to Genesis chapter chapter three, and I want to look at look at verse. Number six, okay. Genesis three six, okay. And then I want you to hold your, I want you to hold your finger on Genesis three six. I want, I want to point out something here. Okay. And then, then I want to turn all the way to the first gospel, the first gospel, not the first gospel, but the first epistle of John. We're going to go all the way, almost to the end of the Bible, to the first epistle of John. Okay. Let's see. First epistle of John, and we want to go to chapter 2 and verse 16. Now, I want you to hold your finger on uh, second or first John 2.16 and turn back to our original text in Genesis 3.6. Now, notice what it says here. It says here, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her man with her and he did eat. And it says in verse seven, and the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and so fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Okay, now here's what I want to point out. Here's what I want to point out. There are three things going on in verse six of the third chapter of Genesis. Now, what are those three things? Okay. Now let us turn to the other text that I've, I've given you, which is first John chapter two, and we're looking at verse sixteen. Mm-hmm. Now here's what happened to Adam and Eve uh, in the garden. The first thing that happened, it says, for all that is in the world. You see, all that is in the world mm-hmm. is the lust of the flesh. Mm-hmm. In other words, why they partook of that particular tree? Because they had a, a lust of the flesh. The flesh wanted that. Mm-hmm. Not the spirit, but the flesh wanted it. Mm-hmm. He said, all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh. And all these tattoo markings, it's a lust of the flesh. Mm-hmm. Okay? And then, what was the next thing? It was the lust of the eyes. In other words, when she looked at the tree of knowledge and the good and evil, what did she say? She said that it was good for food or 
uh, it was pleasant to the eyes. Okay. Yeah, okay. That's the lust of the eye. Yeah. In other words, uh, the first lust is what, the, what we want to crave for the flesh and the markings on our bodies is something for the flesh. And then when you look at the tattoo, what is it? It is something that the eyes see. Okay. So that's the lust of the eyes. In other words, I want to look attractive. I want to look like this. And so that's the lust of the eyes. Mm. And then he said the pride of life. What is the pride of life? The pride of life is saying that you want to be lifted up to be more so than what you are. Wow. So when you look at those three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, most people who get them that I've observed, uh, they, they seem to want to display these things so people can see it. Even in the Christian world, yeah. they want you to dis, they, they want you to see that what they got on. Yeah. Now I'm not trying to be a racist or a supremacist or anything, but I see people who are so dark mm -hmm. that even if they put the tattoo on them, you couldn't see it, but they got it. Yeah. Now, I, now, if anybody could wear a tattoo to really be seen, is people of a lighter hue. Yeah. Now, if you light or Caucasian, you can see it. I, you know that's understandable. Yeah. But I'm not justifying it for the Caucasian or for the Negroid. Yeah. I'm simply saying it's something that is the lust of the flesh, it's something that is the lust of the eye, and it's something of the pride of life. And the Bible says in the same 16th verse. He said, is not of the Father, but is of the world. All of that stuff is of the world. And he said, it's not of the Father. And if we're not doing it for what the Father wants, the Father says, he said, and the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of Elohim shall abide forever. So if you wear all of this worldly stuff, it is sinful. And he said, it's going to pass away. And all this lust that you have, all these tattoos, that's just going to pass away. And he said, if you're holding on to it, you're going to pass away with it. Wow. But if you love the Father, you're not going to love the world. Because the, the two cannot come together. This is what, what Paul says, that when you got the temple, you can't put two things in a temple. You can't put, put the devil in the temple with Yehoah. It's got to be one or another. And even Elohim said, you cannot serve uh, Yehoah and Mammon at the same time. You got to choose one you're going to serve. He said, because if you try to choose two masters, then one is going to have power over the other. So if you want to yeah. choose tattoos, you choose the way of the world. But if you want to choose Elohim, then you won't put, put all this stuff on you. And all that ties in. We need to keep our temples inside as well as outside. Outside, right. As pure and clean mm -hmm. as possible. Mm -hmm. Powerful. Well, Pastor, can you take us to the throne in prayer? Okay. Our loving Father, again, as we have studied in your word and as we have chatted, oh, Heavenly Father, about the appearance that we should have before you. Help us to be pure on the inside as well as the outside. And we realize, oh, Heavenly Father, we're not naive. Some of the people have gotten these things because they didn't have a knowledge of it, and now they have a knowledge. But we do understand that there are ways and means that some of these tattoos can be taken off of the body and they can have the necessary skills of the people who put these things on them to take them off. And we would ask, oh, Heavenly Father, that if they cannot be taken off, that they don't get any more and that the power of the Holy Spirit may help 
to be able to renovate our bodies, so have the Father, that they can be able to display your glory. For when you made us, Lord, you made us with all of the necessary things that we have. And if we eat the right things and do the right things and think the right things, Lord, that even our outward appearance can be able to reflect a very beautiful appearance. And our countenance, oh, Heavenly Father, will be that that can irradiate with the glory of Elohim. So continue to help us to walk in the way that you would have us to, that we may be able to choose the Torah and not to be Torah-less. Because when we're Torah-less, that means that we put aside your word for the word of man. But help us to always put your word first, as Yeshua did when he was contending with Satan in the wilderness. Every time Satan came, he gave him, it is written, it is written. It is written. And as a result, O oh, Heavenly Father, he was able to overcome the world. And as we put your word first, and the word, O oh, Heavenly Father, is found in the Torah, and the word, O oh, Heavenly Father, was made flesh in the Son of Yeshua, who died for us, to give us power over all of these lusts of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life, that we may be your children, that when you do come, we can meet you in peace. Bless each one who listens. Bless my hosts, bless me, and bless them, that we may be recipients and candidates for the kingdom of Elohim, because we decide we want to follow the Torah of Yeshua the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. amen. And amen. Amen. That is our podcast for today. Well, for this week. If you have any questions or comments, email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Until next week, Shalom.